Praise be the maker of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has bestowed on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Praise be the maker of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has bestowed on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavens. This is how Paul begins the letters to the Ephesians. All the spiritual blessings in heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean? What are all the spiritual blessings in heaven? Does Paul know? Does he really know? He himself later tells us he really doesn't. He just knows that it is true that every spiritual blessing in the heavens has been bestowed on us through Jesus Christ. He goes on. Before the world began, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless and to be full of love. God likewise predestined us through Christ Jesus to be adopted children. Such was God's pleasure and will that everyone might praise the glory of God's grace, which was freely bestowed on us in God's beloved Jesus Christ. God chose us to be holy and blameless in Christ. In other words, I think, he's saying that Jesus Christ was sent by God to make up for everything that had ever been done before that kept us from God. Furthermore, we were, are, predestined to be full of love. We were always God's children, never meant to be separated. And in Jesus Christ, the parent love of God for God's children, the wiping out of all that is sin or was sin, all that separated us from the love of God, had vanished by the presence of God's Son, Jesus Christ. You gotta love Paul. He's got a way. And then he goes on even more. He says, It is in Christ and through the blood of Christ that we have been redeemed and our sins forgiven. So immeasurably generous is God's favor given to us with perfect wisdom and understanding. God has taken pleasure in revealing the mystery of the plan through Christ to be carried out in the fullness of time, namely to bring all things in heaven and earth together in Christ. All things together in heaven and earth. What is it? Now, Paul's talking... 2,000 years ago, what is it that gives him this cosmic insight? What has him sounding almost as if he were standing there on the side, watching Jesus and God, and conducting this interview, and then taking his reporting on the road, telling everybody, okay, here's what it means, here's what's out there, here's what's happening. And as he went, explaining all of the universe, and God and Jesus's and the Holy Spirit's role in it and what God wanted from the beginning and wants now and what God has brought to us through Christ Jesus. Where 
does he get this? He says more. In Christ we were willed an inheritance, for in the decree of God, and everything is administered according to the divine will and the command, and for the Greek students among us, that's called the oikonomia, the administrative capability of God to order the universe. And everything is administered according to the divine will and counsel. We were predestined to praise the glory of the Most High by being the first to hope in Christ. And in Christ, you too were chosen. When you heard the good news of salvation, the word of truth, and, de and delivered in it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is the pledge of our inheritance, the deposit paid against the full redemption of a people who are God's own to the praise of God's glory. Paul says this is so, but who is he to say so? More, why should we listen to him today? What makes him such an expert evangelist, apparent confidant of God and Jesus and Spirit, so much so that he appears to have, by his own admission, insight beyond his understanding and ours. This is big, expansive, mystical stuff that he speaks about with absolute authority for his time. But for ours? Whenever I prepare a sermon or help others in preparing theirs, I always consider a few questions. Among them, how much more will people know about me and my life after I deliver a sermon than they knew before I started? How much will I reveal about God and who God is in my life, believing that maybe others will come to believe that such things are possible in their lives as well? And who am I to even consider preaching or doing such things? So in a way, let's ask these questions of Paul, since we're bringing it to today, at least for me, in the way I do things. We all know that Paul was originally named Saul. He was a Jew, a Roman citizen, and a persecutor of the early followers of Jesus. He was one of the men who cooperated in the killing of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He was born in Tarsus, raised in Jerusalem, and part of a group once admonished by Gamaliel, the leading authority in the Sanhedrin or Supreme Court of ancient Israel. He was once admonished by him and his group who told those who were prosecuting the followers of Jesus to refrain from slaying them. He was, among other things, as was Moses, a murderer. God seems to be able to use anyone God wants. So think about Paul having been who he was for a moment. Think about the dark an empty place one comes from who persecutes and murders others as part of a group of thugs and villains defending their ideology with violence. 
Think about the middle of the first century in Jerusalem and what that was like. Think about the riots and the civil wars we know of and those that are raging today in our world and different parts of the world. Or go back not too far and think of the extermination camps of World War II. This is Saul's world. These are the things Saul was a part of in his world. He was one of the tormented guys tormenting others. And it was from this place that he was rescued. Perhaps even not knowing he needed to be rescued. Tradition tells us that as he traveled on that road from Jerusalem to Damascus on a mission to bring them which were bound unto Jerusalem, the Christians that he was bringing to Jerusalem to be tortured, on that road, on that day, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him in a great light and struck him blind for three days and then touched him in a way that maybe you know. When his sight returned, he became one of the most prolific evangelists of the good news, as well as one of the most prominent early Christian teachers. To say he had a change of heart is in itself an understatement of cosmic proportions. His life was changed. Heaven and earth and all beyond were somehow connected in ways for him in a transformed vision and being, inside and out, in such a way that if he were a rock, he would still have had to cry out. He had no choice, so filled was he with the Holy Spirit, than to bring the message to others, hoping that by the power of that Holy Spirit in him, they would believe as he did. And when bad times befell him, jails, beatings, persecutions of himself, he saw it all as part of glorifying God. Talk about change. It is important to remember that those who were listening to Paul would have known all of this. They likely would have heard of him as the persecutor, and they may even, some of them, have felt his wrath. And now they see before them this Paul as a charismatic, persuasive, tireless person filled with zeal, preaching the good news, holy even, and many believed because of what they knew about him, what he said happened to him, and who he was before them today as a demonstration of the power of God in his life. Paul was a living example of what the power of this Savior he spoke of, this Jesus of Nazareth who was killed some 20 years before, who he never met other than in that vision. He was a living example, a miracle, if you like, that convinced others to come to believe that what it was he had was possible for them as well. That was what they longed for in being loved, at peace, assured of God's cosmic embrace for them, and Paul said it could happen. All this and more could happen. Salvation, redemption, and all of the spiritual gifts of heaven were theirs if they would just believe. Give it a try. You know me. You see me. You know what happened to me. This is what happened to me. It can happen for you. And many did try. And many believed. And many lives were changed as a result from then and all the days forward. 
For me, it's important to know that I'm not Paul. But I am like Paul. I have had times in my life where I have lived in ways and behaved in ways that have hurt others. No, I never killed anyone. But I could have if my conditions had been a little different, if the groups I had hung with had been a little different. In my own ways, I have felt the goodness of God in childhood that I once knew slip away, become foreign and distant, unreliable based on the teachings that I have been given. Later, there were dark days, months, even years, when the distance between me and God seemed far away and that there was little I could do to change it. And then, as God does, some things happened. It took time, but I came to know a God, the God of my understanding, as the God beyond all understanding. The God that was with me in the brightest of days and in the most difficult of days. The God who, beyond anything I understood, held me and us all in unity and in great, fulfilling love. The more I accepted this love, the more I acted as if I were loved by God, it was always there, <clears throat> and the more it was. So much that to the degree where I don't need to understand anymore how it works. <clears throat> I don't need to figure it out. I just know that it does. And I rely on God fully in my life, trusting in God that beyond all the theological arguments and biblical debates that God is and is with me and you and all this world and beyond, and through that love of God, I and you and all this world and beyond are a part of something so great and so wonderful that all its promises ahead and we don't understand it and we can't understand it and it doesn't matter what kind of a day we have or the things we do, it doesn't change. All the spiritual gifts of heaven have been given to us, just as Paul has said. Last week we talked about how important it is to rest and to pray and to meditate, to pause. This week we add to that, giving thought during those times of rest and prayer and meditation and pause of how it is that God has changed our lives. What are the stories of our lives that we have to tell others about God in our lives. And in September, I will be asking those who wish to share a few minutes of their story of God, their conversion, their longing for the God who has yet to arrive, perhaps. And I hope you will participate in this sometime in September, because the stories of God in our lives are the stories of the Gospel and the New Testament and the Bible were we to write it today, which I think we probably should again because God continues to be revealed in our lives and the stories of the Gospel and the Bible continue to be written and we are as connected to them today in our lives if we stop and think about that as they were in their lives when they first wrote them and said, I don't know what this is about, but this is what's going on. There's something here and here's what we believe. The evangelists and the writers of the Old and the New Testament, the First and the Second Testament, did not write to describe history. They were not historians. They wrote to tell of transformation in their lives because of their relationship with God, which is exactly what Paul did in his life. 
in these letters. They told of these stories because they knew what was possible in terms of coming into relationship with God and one another, no matter how far away from that they had become. And once they found it, they wanted everyone to know. But they can't know it for us. They can only share their experience and hope with us and others. Hoping that the scales start to fall from the eyes of us who have yet to see. That was and still is the purpose of those writings so many years later. Let the words of the gospel and these authors live into you. What you discover may just pass all understanding right into the love and the embrace of God that made us all. And I close with what we read from Ephesians. That, that is why I kneel before Abba God, Paul says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And I pray that God, out of the riches of divine glory, will strengthen you inwardly with the power through the working of the Spirit. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, will be able to grasp fully the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of Christ's love, and with all God's holy ones experience this love that surpasses all understanding, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. To God, whose power now at work in us can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. In all ways you know God, world without end. Amen. May this be so.